Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. What's up and welcome to it. Episode 103 of the Uncharted Podcast. Can you believe it? We've made it this far. Hand in hand, together as a team, united as one. Yay, go team. Got the spirit. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It's so much fun to do. Without you, it'd be pointless. I would just be talking to myself like an old, senile person that eventually I think I will become. Well, anyway, we've got some awesome guests lined up for you today. We've got singing sensation Bailey Bryan on deck. We've got drummer, multi-instrument playing, vocalist extraordinaire, Elon Rubin. He's here with us. It's a great lineup. I hope you listen and enjoy. They had a lot of fascinating things to talk about. And I learned something, which is I love to do. I always love learning from my guests. And these two provided a lot of valuable resources and information. So with that being said, I will quit doing the yappity yap, and we will get on with this podcast. Thank you so much. Here we go. Right now on the Uncharted Podcast, we have a fierce new talent to watch. I'm talking about singing sensation Bailey Bryan. She has a brand new project out May 7th called Fresh Start. You can check out the video on YouTube of the new song, Temporary. We talk about that, mental health awareness, and a whole lot more right now on Uncharted. Bailey Bryan, Singing Sensation. Thank you so much for being on Uncharted, first and foremost. Of course. Thanks for having me. And, um, you know, I saw this, uh, you know, this thing about this concert, which is uh, tomorrow, right? Yeah. Saturday. It's tomorrow, Saturday? Yes. Yeah. And yes, it is. And you're having fun. Um, you know, backline and, and set break, and it's about mental health and, and access to musicians and everything. And uh, what made you decide to uh, to donate your talents to the cause? Man, I mean, I'm just I'm just really passionate about mental health, just like the people of backline. I think it's it's been an ongoing journey for me, um, but especially in this. This last year, I think everybody has had some kind of uh, encounter with just, like, trying to figure out how the heck to keep their mental health in a good place. And so what Backline does is super important for people in the music community, and I I, I didn't think twice about being a part of it. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, well, from first appearances and everything, I was intrigued because, you know, when, when fans such as myself or people, you know, they see a talented, beautiful young person such as yourself, who, who who discusses you know mental stuff? I mean, it's really a beneficial thing because then it's it's more like it gets real. It's like okay, somebody like this that's in the public eye that's doing music and everything uh, is not afraid to talk about you know what goes on with it. And it's true, yeah. we're all going stir crazy, you know, looking in our houses and you know barely going anywhere. Yeah, it's real, and I, just like you said, I mean, I myself as a fan of music and entertainment when I see artists and people that I look up to being open about their mental health struggles or their journeys or little things every single day that helps them. It makes me feel like I'm not alone and it makes me feel kind of empowered to get the help I need or just be open about it myself. Yeah. And I'll tell you for me, uh, the, 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 uh, the person that made me actually realizing it's going to be kind of funny that it was okay 
It was when The Rock uh, came out and was like, you know what? I had a mental health issue. I was like, you know what? I'm a grown guy, big dude. I guess it's okay that every once in a while everybody breaks down. (laughs) It is. No, and it's exactly people like that that we need talking about it, people like that that we need coming forward saying, like, yeah, I I was depressed or I go through this every day or, man, I love The Rock. That's a a great one. (laughs) It was. For a guy like me, you know, like, you know, most men, you know, the macho mentality, you don't want everybody to know that you have weaknesses. And and for a guy, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, with that being said, I wanted to kind of – another issue I was wondering is, like, do actual musicians, like, with you and your bandmates and everybody that performs, do you all have uh, steady or available access to, like, mental health benefits or people to talk to or stuff, or, or is it really, like, a struggle within that, um, you know, that community? Oh, I think it can be a huge struggle. I mean, unless you're, like, very successful. Um, yeah. It's so – I mean – Therapy or, like, traditional methods of, like, mental health uh, help and work can be really, really hard to find, especially when you're on the road and, like, the it's such a unique lifestyle that comes with its own challenges. Um, there, there's not a ton of resources for it. Honestly, it wasn't until, like, just this year that I, I found a counselor that I'm going to regularly, but I could have used it three years ago sure, when I yeah. was on the very first tour and I didn't know like what, how the heck to be a human and be traveling yeah. all the time. Yeah, because it's a big thing, especially, you know, uh, when you're gaining momentum such as yourself, because eventually, you know, everybody has to have a humble beginning or most people do. And, yeah. you know, once you get to the area you're at or beyond, people don't realize that, hey, one time, you know, I was just like you or like, you know, we are national people playing hockey, tonk, dives, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all people to our core, despite, you know, what it looks like we're doing on Instagram and Facebook and everything. Yeah. Oh, so my God. Yeah. Too cool. I like it. But, no, it impressed me because, you know, it, we all struggle with it, some more so than others. And, and for people of the magnitude of this uh, collaboration, of uh, this concert, um, you know, Tom Lowe, uh, Old Dominion, you know, some Nashville yeah. boys. Um, just, it's great. It's a really wonderful thing, and I'm glad it's finally becoming an issue that we're okay with discussing because if not, we're going to have more violence within, you know, big events. You know, people going into schools hurting people and stuff. I mean, yeah. we, it's, it's got to change. Otherwise, uh, you know, humanity is going to uh, not, you know, progress the way it should be. So. Yeah, and the conversation just is the center around all walks of life, just like you said, like being a man with like the macho mentality and just the things that need to be broken down there. Like there's there's so many stigmas in like marginalized communities in the black community. Nobody nobody has resources for like, hey, like nobody's ever come to you and said like it's okay to go to therapy. Here are some resources. There there's a just a massive lack in so yeah. many for people. So I I love that background is addressing the music community. I, I spent so much time this last year feeling for my bandmates, just mm-hmm. just knowing what I was going through, not getting to work and tour like normal, but I at least got to continue to release music as an artist and kind of have a platform to connect with other people. Like people don't think a ton about like the bass player or the, the yeah. sound guy or the like their whole entire lives are like very different and and especially in the last year have just been turned completely upside down um yeah 
Um, there's an old saying, yeah, there's an old saying, you know, idle hands truly the devil's workshop. And that's what's going mm-hmm. on. We've got too much free time, and we're wanting to be ourselves again. We're wanting to go out and enjoy, you know, our greatest gifts, which is music and, and fellowship yeah. and everything. And, you know, yeah. you, had mentioned, you had mentioned the black community, and I'm not a political guy, and I don't discuss too much about it, but. It's not political. Race is yeah. not political. It's yeah, but, 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 yeah, yeah, but anyway, the, the reason I said political is what I'm about to get into either way is going to be on the fence, but. I was listening to a um, the, the Duck Dynasty people. Willie Robertson has a program mm. on Facebook, and he had um, two people from uh, Love and Hip Hop, and I don't remember oh. their names. And so they're discussing two very different shows. <laughs> yeah, but it's great because they're collaborating, just like you know I me. I'm a, I'm a Southern hillbilly, and I just love yes. music. But um, they're talking about you know things I wouldn't think of as a white guy, like something simple as like getting pulled over if like your tail lights out. What they have yeah. to go through just for being who they are, and it's just it's a shame. Uh, and he had brought mm-hmm. that up, and the mentality that they go through, I couldn't even fathom. So yeah, we just we we need to correct it all. I mean, everybody to their core, no matter what you're doing, wants to be loved and respected. So yeah. that's just. I'm with you. And I'm glad you take the time to appreciate your bands because there's a lot of people that don't. You'd be surprised. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's so it's so crazy how overlooked just the whole, you know, and it makes sense. You know, you see the artist in the front on the stage releasing the music and you think that's the whole thing. But, man, I, I wouldn't be at all where I am or getting to do what I love without, like, the core people that I have running the sound and making the tracks and playing the like I would be nothing yeah. so it's important to make sure that they're okay that's awesome and that's that's why you're going to be the biggest thing since sliced bread as they call it good for you um speaking of that let's uh and I love this let's dig into this project fresh start I've seen the video temporary watched you rock it on uh, Stephen Colbert what's going on with that May 7th is the release right uh for the for my project for fresh yes. start what it said May 7th yeah let's discuss I love that I just I just had like a brain just ask you yeah, when like, my project like, is coming. I'm Ron Burgundy. Do you remember that? I'm Ron Burgundy. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's me right yeah. now. Oh my god. Oh yeah, May seventh is yeah. when my yeah my project uh it's called Fresh Start yeah. is gonna come out. It's like a nine song uh project and we've been putting out a fresh I'm doing air quotes right now a fresh Great. new single every single month for like the uh, last five or six months now leading up to it. Um, exactly. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited, and it it kind of the the sub matter of the whole project. I I tend to think in like concepts as an artist, and it it definitely kind of coincides with the whole mental health conversation. Um, my my tagline for the project is uh, life, love, and the pursuit of confidence, and it kind of talks about the my kind of journey in relationships in the last couple of years of my life, and the way that like my mental health and my confidence was so tied to that, and kind of breaking free from those those kind of attachments that's cool that's awesome yeah like i said i watched the video and just so you know by asking me they did they did consult me to to see if may 7th was a good day for this to come out so oh good perfect yeah. <laughs> i was like you know what that sounds like a great day for, for like i approve yeah and then I, and then i was like with the, with the theme with fresh everybody that purchases this should get an air freshener for their car and they were like you know what we'll put a pin in that one and get back to it like, hey, that's that's great, man. Thanks. You you've done yeah. enough. Yeah. No, yeah, actually, you, you, you you went a little overboard. You can go ahead and take a break. <laughs> Nobody asked for this, but actually yeah. though, that's kind of a dope idea. I, I might, know. Oh, I might have to steal that. I'll yeah. 
I'll give you some kind of credit for that. That's a good, that's actually a great idea. That's cool. Yeah, that uh, that's what adult onset ADHD will do for you. Man, hey, I feel you. I feel that 100%. <laughs> Well, it's a superpower. Uh, yeah, yeah it's a, and that literally all just banked off my head as we were talking. Um, but uh, let's talk about you're talking about touring and everything. You know, with this music coming out and 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 everything. What what's what's the plans? What are you going to do to get it to the masses other than you know just listening to the music? Well, I it's looking. I mean, and it's still kind of just fingers crossed. I'll believe it when it actually happens. But it's looking like we're going to get to do a headlining tour in the fall, like starting in September, I think. That's awesome. That's great. So, and, yeah, I could, I could cry just thinking about it. Sure. I mean, I would wear like a Breaking Bad hazmat suit to go listen to some live music again. Right. So, yes. Yeah, that's great. And and um, so fall, that's awesome. Do you think you'll make a a, a trip down here to uh, the South or Middle Tennessee or anything? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna have a Nashville show for sure. That that's great. Well, hey, you know, thank you so much. I know this is coming tomorrow. You got a lot of stuff going, and you know, thank you for being open and honest and sharing with us. Uh, you got a yes. fan here in me, and uh, I will continue to monitor your success, and we will discuss things as they come. All right. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. The next guest on the Uncharted podcast truly needs no introduction. He's had a career drumming for the likes of Nine Inch Nails, Paramore, Angels and Airwaves, and a whole lot more. Not to mention that at the tender age of 32 years old, became the youngest member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm talking about none other than drummer, multi-instrument playing, vocalist extraordinaire, Elon Rubin. He's talking with us about his project, The New Regime, and a whole lot more. That's next on the Uncharted Podcast. Enjoy. So um, what I, I've, I've known you from as far as being a drummer is that you, uh, you performed with uh, some uh, high school friends of mine in Paramore a little bit. Well, fantastic. And, Great people. Um, yes, good 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 folks. Um and then I see that you know the new regime, you know, I've known your you know your stellar career and just uh, very impressed with uh, not only a uh, drummer that you are but um great guitar skills and and really really nice vocals, man. That's a lot of talent for one person. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, so um and I noticed, like, I was watching the two videos, which are really awesome. Um, are you going to, like, when you get ready to tour, if you're not touring already, are you going to just continue as a three-piece? Uh, I, I suppose so, but it really does depend. I mean, a lot of the music could certainly benefit from a fourth person mm -hmm. doing some of the other duties, whether it be extra guitar work or some keyboard stuff. really depends. I mean, all the tracks are pretty heavily layered. But uh, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I'm I'm hoping to be able to tour sooner than later, obviously. Yeah. But uh, the three-piece thing has been working, so I suppose I'd ride that out until it was no longer working. Yeah, it, it sounds really great. It's a great groove. But I, I was just thinking, considering, uh, you know, as, as um, sophisticated the music is, that it would probably help you, like, kind of relieve a little of the pressure of being, like, the lead guitarist and the vocalist all in the same manner. So I was mm -hmm. just kind of curious. Yeah, like I said, it depends. It's been working so far. Uh, there are plenty of things where it would be nice to just focus on singing, but uh, I think it also keeps things very interesting when you figure out how to disperse a certain amount of parts amongst three guys, whether it be vocal harmonies or actual parts, because I do see the live show as being different to the album. Mm -hmm. Not everything has to be a, a note-for-note replication of what's been recorded 
So I think that also enables the live rendition of the music to kind of have its own energy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the videos I, I enjoyed them, you know, Smoking Mirrors and You Can Be, and I watched several others, but those two new ones that they were, you know, the uh, pub, the, the publicist sent to me, um, that was the closest I've been to a live concert in a while. I mean, that was just the feeling. Really enjoyed what you were doing. It's something I could definitely get into if it came to Nashville. Um, and you were talking about vocals. All three of you guys, I know, sing and sing really well. Like, uh, did you pick your bandmates based on everybody's vocal constraints? Uh, not necessarily, but it has been a very important thing. So, for example, before Rob was playing drums, uh, so actually I should say this has been a, a pretty new lineup as of the last couple of years, and um, things always change. I mean, if I could have a prerequisite being every member having such and such vocal range and, and ability, then obviously that would be amazing, but things don't always line up that way. So Rob is actually the first drummer I've had who has sung, but who has also had a fantastic range. So I often layer high harmonies above my lead vocal, and it was one of those things that I kind of just accepted as not being able to be done live. Not because it's so high, but range is a very personal thing. So... I'd either rework the harmonies to either be an octave lower or do a different interval depending on who was there. But Rob has come to be as valuable a singer as a drummer to me, which is excellent. And um, Kimball, who has been playing bass for the last, I mean, I, I see it as the last year. So obviously the last year has been spent not playing, but you get what I'm saying. Sure. Since he's been around, uh -huh. um, he has a very rich range in, in more so mid and low registers. So it's something that has kind of worked out, but uh, yeah, if it doesn't work out, then the, the craft of understanding harmony and range comes into play and, and rearranging things. So yeah, it's been good. It just, uh, it, it really impressed me because, you know, usually there's like, you got that guy that's kind of, or that gal, that lady <laughs> who's yeah. backing you up while you're singing, but you guys were all in there and I was like, man, that's good. I mean, you know, Three guys in a small, small knit group, and everybody's kind of like pulling their own weight with the with the the backups of the vocals. So that's got to be handy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, harmony is such an important part of music, and I feel like I don't want to say it's it's a it's a dying art form because it obviously depends on the style, you know. But yep. it's extremely important to me as a writer, and things that I listen to are very harmonically rich, vocally speaking. So being able to replicate that live the best that I can across three people is, um, I think, impressive, and it's it's very important. I mean, there are often four-part harmonies, and it's a matter of finding the best way to bring that across with three voices. So performing this stuff live presents its own challenges, but uh, it always seems to work its way to a satisfactory point. Yep. Uh, you guys are taking it. I mean, I can tell you guys have been rehearsing. You're taking advantage of the uh, the pandemic time, I guess you could call it. Uh, you know, well, what's, what's funny is, I mean, they probably despise it, but uh, when we were touring last, I had always had an acoustic guitar with me, and I'm a Beatles fanatic and Queen fanatic and whatnot, but yeah. I'd always be like, all right, guys, we're going to learn the three-part harmonies to this song, and that's how we kind of warm up. And not that they don't like the Beatles, but most people don't like the Beatles as much as I do. 
that, who, who I've come across anyway. But <laughs> it's it's become a, a great way of just making sure all the voices are, are in sync, you know? Yeah. So it's been well, good. Yeah, I can tell by, you know, how you conduct yourself from watching your, you know, clinic, clinics on YouTube and everything that you take it very seriously, and that's why you've had such a magnitude of success. But, you know, you've got to practice to make perfect. That's what every professional says, everyone I've ever heard anyway. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And I agree. I mean, there are naturals out there, which is great, but even the naturals have to put in uh, a great amount of work to best utilize their talents or make up for things that aren't as good as they should be. So I always side with, with hard work being the way to go. That's it, and, and you're living proof that if you if you get after it, something's going to come of it. Well, uh, thank you. That's what I keep telling myself with this podcast. I, if I just keep going, I'm going to hit gold. <laughs> Absolutely. Keep going. Well, you know, it always impresses me because um, I was a drummer, not to your caliber, but uh, I just had shoulder replacement, and I've moved to bass because I'm a rhythm section guy. I'm, I just have rhythm. Mm-hmm. How many instruments do you play? Because it seems like you are really great. And like, like, you know, it's not enough to be awesome at drums, but you've got the guitar mastered too. You know, it's, it's like Dave Grohl esque. Not that you're the same genres, but you're kind of teetering towards one of these guys that plays everything. I was just curious. Mm-hmm. What all's in your arsenal? What all do you play? Well, thank you. So, um, drums were my first instrument, but I can say that I play bass, guitar, and piano very well. Cool. And I mean, if we're counting singing as an instrument, then go ahead and throw that in there. But um, yeah, and, and piano obviously leads itself to synthesizer work and other kinds of things. And programming is also, I wouldn't consider it an instrument by any means, but it's a different facet of music and music production, I should say. And all those things kind of culminate in my written music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um and um, that's that's really impressive to to be able to because it takes a lot because being a touring like like when you started with drums when did you move into another instrument like when when did you start making transitions to other things? Um, let's see. So I started seven or eight years old, yep. and uh, I probably had not picked up another instrument till about thirteen. So there was a strong uh, four or five year period of pure drum obsession. But being the youngest of three boys, my older brothers gravitated towards other instruments. So having access to those at home is obviously was the most important thing because I saw these instruments. And for me, it always just takes that one spark of learning the first thing and then realizing I can keep going with this. I can keep learning and there should be no no limit to what I could do. So from learning a, a very first riff or a first bass line, whatever it may have been, was enough to put me down a pretty obsessive path with that instrument. And that's the way it's always worked. So it wasn't until around 15 or 16 that I got into the piano, but I just developed a love for classical music and all of a sudden saw the piano as the ultimate instrument because of everything it was capable of simultaneously. You know, it has the entire musical range. You have bass, melody, harmony, and you can sing on top of it. So I just very quickly became enamored with it. But it was a funny thing because growing up as a as a musician that was heavily into classic rock and whatnot, mm-hmm. my 
sudden interest in classical music was kind of perplexing to my parents and they weren't necessarily sure if it was a phase or not but um, they were extremely supportive so at first it was like hey well there's this keyboard in the garage learn a couple things see if you actually like it and then my abilities kind of surpassed that instrument and then it became all right well we should probably get you a uh, like an 88 key weighted digital piano so you can get closer to the actual feel of the instrument and then I excelled at that and really put an hour upon hour and eventually got a real piano and it has become an instrument that I write a lot of my music from I either write from the guitar or the piano, but the piano just really opens itself up to so much musical potential because you stumble across harmonies and relationships between bass notes and chords that you wouldn't really stumble across on the guitar because it would be so much more difficult. But um, that's my long-winded way of saying every few years I pick up a new instrument and become obsessed with it. Yeah, hey man, I'm I'm just like a student of the game. I I was just clinging to every word. I mean, do you think? <laughs> uh, but my my uh, my two comments on that was first is that with all the people that I've seen play piano and and I have the same respect as you. I'm nowhere near. I can play a couple of notes and whatnot. But when I really realized how important it was, was, was of all people watching Brian Wilson on it because you know obviously the Beach Boys and Pet Sounds, and, mm. and he, that's where he always goes first when he gets ready to play or to record. And to me, that just gravitated, okay, well, he's considered one of the geniuses, and that's his instrument of choice when it's time to, like, get everybody together. So uh, you mentioned Absolutely. that. Absolutely. about that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Brian Wilson, as of, I don't know, a good maybe four or five years or so, I mean, I was certainly late to the party, but has been an enormous influence on the way I write and see harmony. But he's a great example of what I said a couple of minutes ago where – so many people look to him as the guy who taught them how to play chords with different bass notes beneath him. I've heard Elton John say that. I've heard numerous other people who are not coming to mind right now. But that is one of those things that has made his knowledge of harmony sound so much richer than, than most other people, is that he very early on figured out how to offset chords with, with different bass notes and those bass notes moving along as the chords would change, it would also provide a, a great bass line. So he was very hip to that very early on, and I definitely keep that sort of thing in mind, especially in a scenario where, let's say I'm dealing with a chord progression and it's it's given me a great platform to write a melody from, but something about the progression doesn't seem interesting enough. I often say, well, what would Brian Wilson do with this if he was playing this on piano? And more <laughs> often, more often than not, that that yields uh, an interesting result. So, yeah, the piano is the way to go. If you were to do that on guitar, you would be dealing with the most bizarre fingerings to try to accomplish the same thing. So, the, it's it, it is the mightiest of all instruments. Yeah, and uh, and I agree. And as you were talking, that that's what came to mind because it's it. it, it that's, you know, I gravitated towards how important it was seeing that. And then and when you were speaking, it was basically like you were saying aloud what was kind of running through my brain watching him do that. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy's work. I think yeah. he's uh, uh, 
I mean, obviously still alive, but definitely uh, an immense musical figure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with your musical influences, because you're, you know, you're talking about the Beatles and classic rock and, and just an eclectic um, passion for it, what what was the influence origin for you? Did you have a family member, or what, what was the key moment in your life when you wanted to make this everything? Uh, the key moment, oh, well... I can certainly define the key moment that defined my musical taste initially, which was once my dad realized that I had rhythm at the drums, because he he was the first musician in the family. He played when he was in in high school and as a kid. And that's that's why there was a drum set in the house. And that's why my older brothers dabbled with it before I did. And that kind of piqued my interest at the time. But when my dad realized that I actually had rhythm and could play the instrument, he immediately said to me, okay, if you're going to play drums, you should listen to this. He got me Led Zeppelin one, which to this day, Led Zeppelin is the ultimate for me. I mean, I think they are the, the greatest quartet to ever walk the earth and they are endless inspiration for me, but that definitely put me down the track of loving that type of music. So that was a big thing, but um, I'm I'm fortunate in the sense that a I had very supportive parents, but b I really did excel quickly at the instrument, and that made my parents obviously take it extra seriously, and pretty much allow me to go down that path from a very young age. So. I mean, really, that's where it all all comes from. I was playing shows at a very young age. I always had that support. I was always instilled with the idea of taking everything very seriously, always doing my best, being a professional. And those are qualities that I, I pride myself on to this day. And fortunately, they were instilled within me at such a young age. Yeah. That's that's cool because uh, you know same scenario for me. Uh, it's so important to have you the support of your parents, especially when you're in your formative years, and and that's that's the foundation. And I was just curious, like, was it you know what what parent or, or sibling kind of got you going, and uh, like what album it was? Because for me, uh, you know, being 38, uh, I got a Nirvana CD, and that really changed the whole trajectory mm-hmm. of my life uh, and how yeah. I opened my eyes to things. So mm-hmm. that's great. Um, what, um, like, uh, how do you adapt? Cause you are so skilled and with so many different bands, obviously, you know, Nine Inch Nails, Paramore, Angels and Airwaves. How do you, how do you get prepared for different genres, uh, when you're drumming and everything? I mean, it's, it, cause you're all over the spectrum when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, I haven't really looked at the drum. I mean, for me to look at a style of playing as being a different genre, it has to be vastly different and yes of course paramore nine inch nails for example are very different bands but in terms of the way i approach the drumming to them i mean they're both energetic and they they both have a broad range of dynamics so in terms of playing it really isn't the biggest difference now if you said hey you play drums in this jazz trio how's that different to nine inch nails and that would obviously be a much more interesting and in-depth conversation. But I haven't really had to think about approaching the drums differently. I mean, either the parts are there 
and I've had to replicate them. Or I had somewhat of a hand in playing the first version of these parts. And what I mean by that is, so I played drums on Paramore's fourth album, the self-titled album. Mm-hmm. And Taylor, for example, did a great job of mocking up a huge majority of those drum parts. And I replicated those and or was asked, what would you do with this? This was my basic idea. And then I would take it from there. But when it came time to actually playing live, I obviously had a bunch of drum parts that I was to a degree replicating from from Zach's drumming on the albums preceding that one. In which case, I learn them and I play them. And the same thing could be said with Nine Inch Nail stuff. I mean, often there's an immense catalog that I am just replicating what's there, but I'm, I'm given certain license to, you know, make things my own or play them the way I think they should be played. But I'm always very conservative in my approach to playing other material. I try to remain, or I do remain as as faithful to the originals as possible until I'm told to kind of step beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I said, if I was playing jazz or if I was in like a funk band or something, um, then that would be different. I mean, some examples I could tell you that maybe you wouldn't know about is I've done a couple of sessions over the years with Beck, for example, and those were those were super fun, and the stuff was a bit funkier. I was obviously playing a lot softer than what you would see me playing on stage with either of the bands I just mentioned, but that is a very different approach. And I guess what it all stems from is it's not about how you play the instrument, unless you're being called for that specifically, but it's about what you're playing and how it is the song. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I were to play softly with Paramore or Nine Inch Nails, that wouldn't work. And if I were to play aggressively with Beck, that wouldn't work either. So you kind of just have to figure out what suits the song best. Unfortunately, I haven't had any issues with that. But I've also seen versatility as a musician to be one of the most important things. I mean, being a one-trick pony seems miserable. And I often get irritated when I see that in other people, where it's like, okay, I see you can do this, but what else can you do? And I love being surprised by people where I think, holy shit, I didn't think he could do that, but he did a great job. Yeah. No, I'm with, like, um, Jack Jack White's kind of like that. You know, the dead weather and the wrecking tours and, and everything he's been through. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of like, uh, you know, you just got to keep reinventing yourself in this game because in the in the world we live in now, uh, it's it's a constant. There's a, Everybody's wanting that constant gratification and everything's got to be quick in and out, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, well, let's get let's get to this. Um, everything we, we we've talked about, uh, what's the most impressive? And I know you've you've mentioned it, but the youngest inductee in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, did that make your head swell to be as young as you are? What well, you're 32 years old, right? Uh, I'm 32. Yes. Okay, you're 32, and your life's body of work is already recognized in the most prestigious place you could think of. I mean, like what 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 feelings? I mean, what what does that do for you? How do you feel about it? I was definitely thrilled and very surprised to hear. Um, I'm obviously grateful and was honored to receive that call from Trent. And 
there was a good period in time where I was thinking, yeah, that would be great. I certainly don't expect it, but I genuinely don't think it's going to happen because Nine Inch Nails, for all intents and purposes, is Trent Reznor, and it should be. So why would I assume that I would be part of that honor of being inducted into the Hall of Fame? But um, I was beyond happy to hear that he and management were adamant about a select few of the, I mean, the the long list of members in Nine Inch Nails over the last 30 years or so um, to be inducted alongside him. And I was just very pleasantly surprised when that confirmation actually came through. I mean, sure, the uh, the youngest inductee is, you know, sounds impressive, and for whatever that's worth, it's cool. But regardless of that, getting the actual honor and, and the trophy to commemorate that has meant a lot for me. And given that it took place in the shittiest year I can possibly think of, <laughs> yeah, it, okay. uh, it is definitely made me think that regardless of this awful pandemic, at least professionally, I can look back at 2020 and say, that's the year that that happened. And honestly, I'm very fortunate that last year was as good as it was for me because, I mean, I got married last year, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, thank you, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that we discussed, that was a huge professional thing. And the year was also spent just really diving into other musical interests that I didn't have the time to properly research and learn. So it's been a good year. But like I said, I can look back and say that's the year that I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So very proud of it. It just, and I know you mentioned it a lot, but I I didn't personally get to tell you yet how cool I think it is. (laughs) I just think to me that makes you like the coolest human on earth. And I'm just kudos to you. I just think that's awesome. But yeah, uh, well put. Um, And, um, Nine Inch Nails, now it's very a humbling thing for you to say that it is Trent Reznor, but the life pulse of that band is what you provide, that drums, that beat. Um, so I'm glad he recognized you. That's, that, that really speaks a lot for his character because easily he probably could have went up there by himself and you just took it and did his thing. So that's good. Yeah, and, uh, and I wouldn't have been e- even remotely offended if that were the case because, I mean, that guy's legacy is, well-deserved, and to this day, he keeps pushing things forward, and people are often looking to him to see what's next. So, all things said and considered, that kind of makes this thing mean even more. Yeah, I I thought it was cool they let you guys do Austin City Limits. I I always thought that was neat, because usually they don't invite bands of that particular genre on there, and I just think he's constantly, and you guys as a collective are making strides waves leaps and bounds as far as yeah and that was a that was a really fun show as well because it's one of those things where the only time you really get to see proper live footage of a band is if you see a recorded stream from a european festival or something like that or maybe even a u.s festival but they're kind of few and far between but to have a live performance in a controlled setting like that, especially with a band like Nine Inch Nails and a version of Nine Inch Nails, which was uh, unprecedented, which is the the expanded eight-piece lineup and Pino, Palladino on bass and all that fun stuff. It's great to be able to have that and watch it and be like, yeah, that was great. Yeah, 
No, it was well done. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed that that performance. I mean, I've seen a lot, but that one just stuck out. It, it was, uh, it just came to mind. Um, let's go to you're talking about, you know, expanding music and going different. The the new regime, and I'm I'm a new fan on board because I just discovered, thankfully, for the email I received on it. Um, mm-hmm. Looking forward to the deluxe vinyl because I'm a vinyl hound. I've got one uh, gingerly heading to Nashville as we speak. Excellent. But um, what what um, what was the what was the reason to do a deluxe edition? Like, was there, um, what was the inspiration behind that? Well, before releasing the first version of the album, I just had so much material that made it difficult to pick the initial 16 tracks that were to come out. So I knew I wanted the other four to see the light of day. And quite frankly, the whole deluxe version of albums is something that has become pretty standard these days so in combination with the two things i just said being able to not being able to tour and really finding ways of kind of keeping the album alive all all pointed to a re-release with additional material Uh well lucky for me because i'm gonna i'm gonna let it uh, fill the uh the old uh victrola i've got over here which and you mentioned the beatles you won't believe this, but it's for seven bucks at an estate sale about a year ago. I mm-hmm. have an original Meet the Beatles first album, and I, I grade it like a seven, and uh, was very lucky because basically gave thirty five cents for it, considering the pile that it came out of. Uh, that's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Well, was hey, this uh, a uh, was this a Capital release or a Parlophone release? Yes, it's Capital, and it's says, you know, it's Meet the Beatles, the first album by England's Phenomenal Pop Combo. And I was just very pumped. Oh, that's great. I, I've got it sheeted now. I, I do not play it, um, but mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. It's, it's the first one you see as I'm fumbling through my records, but uh, it was one of those good finds I was very, uh, very happy to get a hold of. That's excellent. Yeah, my, my dad, uh, oh, my dad saw the Beatles the, the one time they played in San Diego, but oh my gosh, he had all the capital releases because that's obviously what was coming out in the U.S. But he was such a fan that he also bought all the Parlophone releases, which are what obviously the the, the British audience and European. I think everybody else really. Mm-hmm. That's that's what they got. So uh, yeah, it was great to be pointed in that direction. Yeah, I'd like to get the record with the the babies on the cover. I think that's he ha- well. He, I'll tell you what, you'll love this. When we were, uh, when he was telling me about that, he showed me. That's that's from a, a an album, a Capital album called Yesterday and Today, I believe. Okay. And right. I could be wrong, but he, he we pulled out that that sleeve to take a look at it, and his version, his copy of it, is that baby part sleeve, but they pasted over it. Oh my gosh. With whatever the replacement album art was oh my goodness but you could see that it was such a cheaply done like oh man we can't put this out anymore but we already made them so <laughs> let's just glue over the top of it and nobody will notice yeah exactly that's still awesome though uh i i didn't know such an album existed until you know three or four years ago but i was like mm-hmm. wow at the time that that must have been pretty risque to have that on an album yeah i mean especially with such a lovable boyish band but it's um, it's just funny because you can't really imagine these days. Well, you know, I, I shouldn't say that because these days people don't even listen to albums and they listen to the one or two songs that they like and dispose of the rest. Yeah. But what I always found fascinating about 
the whole Parlophone versus Capitol Beatles release is, is that the Beatles would put out their albums and then Capitol would kind of cut those up and pretty much assemble compilations. And that's what the U.S. audience would get. So they would often have, I mean, let's, uh, I'm just going to look up right now, the Beatles yesterday and today. And we'll see what's on there. But yeah, so for example, there would be um, a bunch of singles with album tracks, and that would make up an album that Capitol would put out. So it's uh, it's very interesting. I mean, yeah. So for example, the Beatles yesterday and today. You have uh, yesterday, which was off of Help. You have We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper, which were singles. Then you have Nowhere Man and Drive My Car, which was off of Rubber Soul. And you have I'm Only Sleeping, which is off of Revolver. So you have this album that is really comprised of tracks off of four different Beatles albums, but this is packaged and branded as The Beatles Yesterday and Today on Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. I couldn't imagine that being done these days. Yeah, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, but but like you said about records, and, and you know, I'm almost 40, and I'm not ashamed of becoming old or, or old school or whatever, but... Uh, you know, with your record coming in, I, I do hurt for today's youth or whoever because, like you said, just listening to one or two songs, like maybe one song I enjoy on yours is paired up before another one, and that's the beauty of enjoying the whole album to get to another song you may enjoy because there might be another diamond in the rough you wouldn't even have known existed. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. And that wraps up another edition of the Uncharted Podcast. Special thanks to guests Bailey Bryan and Elon Rubin. Most of all, I want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time. Without you, there's no reason to do it, and I'm eternally grateful. I want you to have an awesome week, an even better weekend that's coming up, safe, happy, and healthy, and I hope you're getting vaccinated if you choose so, and we can get on with life as we used to know it. Now remember, as always, I love you for you and where you're at in life. We'll catch you next time. All right, Josh Belcher signing off, Uncharted. Later, everybody.